0: This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This
1: week on True Crime Chronicles.
2: Marianne was one of the most protective parents I've ever met in my life. She would just yell, Melissa! Like you could just hear it from miles away. And you're like, oh, we gotta go back. But And she was always, you know, tell me where you are, tell me when you're leaving. She was super protective of her. I've been reporting on this
3: case my entire career. Every year you have the anniversary that comes around and it's not something that you skip over because Melissa Witt's case, you know, is something that means a lot to this community. So we talk about it as much as we can. So ever since I got into broadcasting, I mean, every year I do this case. It it means a lot to this community and it means a lot
2: to me. It's a sad story and I think it's something that stuck with me because Melissa is my age. Mm -hmm. And I remember when this happened, the flyers that were being passed out, um, I was attending college at Northeastern State University and I remember seeing her picture. Uh, Have you seen me and um, growing up as a kid, Fort Smith is where my family always came. We're from a small town, that's where you could go to the better restaurants, mall. So it it has stuck with me since this happened.
1: Late last year, Luke Patrick took a drive into the Arkansas woods. He had a specific place in mind, place he'd only seen in photographs and old news footage from the 90s.
4: And It's not an easy-to-get-to place. Like I had to take my, my pickup to go out there to get to it. It's off dirt roads. It's way off in the woods. You have to go down the interstate, leave on another two-lane road, and go about three or four miles down a dirt road, and then another two miles up this other dirt road that you'd have to have a very capable vehicle to get up and down. And I get there, and it's a really surreal experience being in the place where this you know, such a terrible thing had transpired years ago. And I'm out there by myself, it's kind of getting dark. It was a really eerie feeling, but just being in the presence of that area and knowing what had taken place, was was really, it wasn't a great feeling at all.
1: Luke is chief photographer at KFSM, the CBS television affiliate in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And he was looking for a spot where a body had been found. More than twenty-five years
4: earlier. So the boulder lays off this dirt road by about thirty feet, and it looked a little bit different from the footage we had in the nineties. But it, it was, it, it looks the same. I mean, it, it doesn't look a day deteriorated. The moss that was there in the nineties was in the same spots as it was when I went there. Like it was literally like I just jumped into the footage and was there. Uh, it, it 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 was really difficult to be there kind of it it was really a little emotional for me and especially like i've spent 11 years out in those mountains recreating and i've been very close to that spot going camping and, and whatnot and you know knowing that i've been so close and not know what happened there and then being there it was surreal
1: Luke didn't stay at that place for long that day.
4: I think I was there for probably a half an hour. I I, I closed out the day there and, and was leaving as it was getting dark.
1: That remote wooded place where Luke Patrick was standing was where the body of 19-year-old Melissa Witt had been found over 25 years ago.
3: So we know Melissa. She was a she was a happy child growing up. Um, she was kind. Melissa had a lot of friends. She was very well liked and she was extremely close with her mother. She lived in a single parent household with her mother, Mary Ann, and those two talking to neighbors and friends. I mean, they were always together. They had a really close relationship um, and both of them. Really well loved and well liked within the community of Fort Smith, Arkansas.
1: This is Joe Ellison, an anchor at KFSM in Fort Smith, Arkansas.
3: Fort Smith is a a really uh, tight knit community. There are a lot of churches here, um, a lot of community um, events that happen here. And I mean, this is one of the places when you think of Fort Smith, Arkansas, you know, and it may be a bit of a cliche, but I mean, people really didn't lock their doors at night. Um, you know, we're talking about safe neighborhoods here, not a lot of crime, everybody knows everybody. Um, You know, you saw your neighbor on Sunday whenever you go to church.
1: It was in this small town environment that Melissa, or Missy Witt, was last seen alive. It was Thursday, December 1st, 1994.
3: So she worked at a dentistry office um, in Fort Smith, Arkansas, in the Boston Square, and she had happened to be at the mall that day before she went to go to work, you know, just like any teenager would, out shopping, um, the only mall in Fort Smith, Arkansas. She leaves the mall and, and she goes to work at this dentist's office, and once the shift is finished and they're wrapping everything up, her car wouldn't start. And she went back inside, you know, to let her coworkers know, hey, I'm having a problem with my car and can you help me? And so with just a couple of them left at the time who were still, you know, behind who hadn't left work yet, they helped her jump her car. Uh, she had left a, a light on inside the car, so that obviously drained the battery. So the coworkers, you know, they help her jump the car, they leave it running, they make sure it'll continue to, you know, stay running, and they leave her, you know, there safely. She was just a young girl who spent the day at the mall, she went to work, she finished up her shift, she left the light on, you know, like some teenagers do whenever you you haven't been driving very long, you forget things like that. And she did, she left that on and and it killed her battery. But, you know, there were people there at her job who helped her, got her car running and, you know, back on the road. And when they left her, she was safe and sound.
1: Police would eventually put together a timeline of Melissa's whereabouts after leaving work that day.
3: She intends to go to the bowling world where her mother is on a league at Bowling World in Fort Smith, you know, just to stop by, maybe, you know, grab a few bucks from her mom like any teenager would, maybe grab a bite to eat while she's there. But she you know, takes a little side tour and she goes home. So she wants to change out of her work clothes. She wants to put on something fresh. So police say, you know, she goes inside of her home. She's by herself. She changes out of her her scrubs, her work uniform. Uh, she puts on, you know, some different clothing, some earrings. She has on a watch, and then she makes her way from her home. the bowling alley where her mother is
1: according to police records melissa left the house that day wearing blue jeans and a sweater a mickey mouse watch she was wearing a pair of earrings but melissa's mom marianne never saw her at the bowling alley she didn't even know melissa was there
3: she goes to the bowling alley she pulls up her mother's inside this all happens within just a few feet of her mom marianne and, and she doesn't know that it's happening i mean as a mother something like that happening a few Feet away from you I mean that it's just heart-wrenching that it's happening you don't know what's happening and there's nothing that you could do to stop it and you know it, it's later that night when Marianne gets home Melissa never comes home which is unusual for this you know teenager who doesn't break curfew who you know always lets her mom know where she's at
1: understandably Marianne was concerned
3: So she does, she calls her Melissa's best friend at the time, Tara, because if Melissa is out anywhere, she's going to be with Tara because this is her best friend. Of course, it's late at night. So when Mary Ann calls Tara's house, Tara's mother answers and says, Hey, you know, can I speak to Tara? I I, I don't know where Missy is. They called her Missy. And I just want to see if Tara has seen her. And, you know, Tara's mom wakes her up in, in the middle of the night saying, hey, I have Melissa's mom on the phone. She didn't come home. H- have you seen her? Do you have any idea who she could be with? And, and Tara didn't know. She hadn't seen Missy that day.
2: She's always had lots of friends
0: and uh, she loves people and uh,
2: she, uh, she just enjoys life. I don't feel that she went of her own accord. I'll say that. Uh, I I don't think she would have. Um,
3: And I I just have confidence in her. I'm I'm going only by what the police have told me. And they have told me that should they find out anything, I would be the first one to know. And I've just held
2: on to that.
1: It didn't take long for police to get involved in a search for Melissa Witt.
3: Back then, there's not a lot of missing uh, person cases reported like this. So police jump on this immediately.
2: All units be on lookout for a Melissa Witt, be a white female, 19 years of age, 5 foot 5, 135, have hazel eyes, brownish blonde hair, last seen Thursday, December 1st. Hello, sir. We have a local girl that's missing, and we're just passing out flyers trying to get any information.
3: Um, This is a well-known
2: girl. Um, They're
3: working as fast as they can, and one of the places they start is at at the time, it was called West Art Community College. It's now the University of Arkansas-Fort Smith. They start there because she goes to class with a lot of people who uh, she knew. A lot of her friends are there. So they kind of start the search there because I guess they feel like there's a lot of people in one place who knows melissa police searched the college campus students were baffled that a girl they saw every day would leave without telling her mom or friends
2: where she was going we think we're often protected here in the small town of fort smith and and uh, lots of students are are very sad those that know melissa know that this isn't like her Uh, she's a very responsible person Uh, she often leaves notes for her mother telling her where she's going and uh, and this is, it wouldn't be like her just to run off. And as days go on, um, you know, we get even more fearful because um, there's some frightening thoughts what could be happening to her.
3: This is unbelievable. How can you say that? Is
2: it just
3: out of character for her? Yes. Police interviewed Melissa's coworkers at Family Dentistry in Fort Smith's Boston Square. Those co-workers who may have been the last to see Melissa before she vanished say she had car trouble.
1: But no one had seen her at the college, at work, or at home. And no one knew she'd gone to the bowling alley that night to find her mother.
3: So police didn't know to start at the the bowling alley because they didn't know that she ever drove up there. Um, It was a couple of days later, they they find the car. It was even a couple more days later, they find the car keys. Someone who was there bowling found them out in the parking lot, turned them into the front desk. Once police are notified about that, they start taking a look at those keys, start doing some tests, and they discover blood on those keys.
1: And there was more blood in the parking lot.
3: What they tell me they found is a, a trail of blood leading from her car, which is on the at the parking lot leading over to maybe a few more spaces from that so they say the way it was set up the, the blood that they found and how it traced it looks like she was attacked there at her car and drugged to another vehicle that had been setting maybe just a, a few uh parking spaces away
1: but you have to remember this was 1994 there wasn't any video surveillance in the parking lot at the bowling alley.
3: So this is a bowling alley that, you know, you you feel like you're living in a safe town. They don't have cameras out in the parking lot. So unfortunately, police hit a roadblock with that. Um, Man, they really wish that there were some out there, but there just weren't.
1: There was a potential witness though, a 10 year old boy who thought he'd overheard an argument.
3: This little boy, actually, his mom was inside of the bowling alley, bowling on that league with Melissa's mother, Mary Ann. And I mean, how heartbreaking that, you know, you have this little 10 year old boy who comes inside and says something is happening out in this parking lot. There's an argument going on between a man and a woman. Something's not right. And you know, as a mother, she just sort of discounted that. Um, and it, it has to be heartbreaking, you know, for the family to know that, you know, someone didn't go out there and check. But I mean, we're talking about a 10 year old boy who, you know, maybe he didn't see what he saw, you know? So, um, but I think that is a big part of this case. Police really believe that that little boy, this little 10 year old who heard that argument and saw it, they really believe that that was the moment that Melissa Wit. Was abducted.
1: There were no obvious suspects in the case, no one who police honed in on immediately. But that didn't stop them from interviewing hundreds of potential suspects in coming months and years.
3: We would be here probably a week talking about suspects in this case. I mean, police pulled out all the stops on this one. They looked at every sex offender in the area, um, anyone who had, you know, a criminal past. They checked hundreds of people. There were a few people, you know, at the time that they did zero in on, but there wasn't anything solid that they could come up with um, to close this case.
1: And back in December 1994 and into January 1995, there was no sign of Melissa. They'd found her car. They'd located evidence, a trail of blood and more blood on a car key, nothing that led them to a body or suspect at the time. Sergeant Daniel Grubbs with Fort Smith Police says the only thing they knew for sure was that she never made it inside the bowling
2: alley. What we believe is she went home to change clothes and made it to the parking lot but didn't make it inside. We believe that someone was inside the parking lot and attacked her as she was walking in and ultimately kidnapped her and murdered her.
1: Over the years, police have highlighted the fact that she was wearing a watch that night watch that didn't turn up at the crime scene.
3: Police talk a lot about this Mickey Mouse watch because it's a watch that back then in 1994, you know, Mickey Mouse, that was a big thing. You saw teenagers wear them on their shirts. Um, There were the watches. So it was a big deal. And she had this watch with a brown band. And it was significant enough that it had a serial number on it and going through her home, police were able to find uh, the box that it came in with a matching uh, serial number. So this is significant, the watch, because this is something she was wearing when she was abducted and that has never been found along with those earrings and the clothing that she was wearing at the time.
1: But then on January 13th, 1995, police got a call. A body had been found.
3: This is the Ozark National Forest, which is probably about a good 35, 40 minute drive from the bowling alley where she was abducted. This is a very rural area of Arkansas. It's north of the town uh, of Ozark in Franklin County. Two hunters who frequent that area, who hunt in that area a lot, Uh, it's dirt roads. They're driving down the dirt roads. They don't see anything the day before. The next day, they're driving down the dirt road and they see the body of a white nude female laying next to this massive rock out in the national forest. And of course, they immediately call police to let them know what they found. And Fort Smith police leading this case at the time, you know, they get that call, they get word, they go there, but they don't only go by themselves, they call in the Calvary on this one. They call in Arkansas State Police, they call in every county agency surrounding, because they've been looking for this girl close to a month. And, you know, a body is found. So they call in everyone to help.
1: And back at work in Fort Smith, Melissa's mom, Marianne, got the news that a body had been found.
3: And they actually sent police to her job to break the news to her and to drive her home. Because, you know, as a mother, you get news like that, you need someone around you. So they break the news to her and, you know, let her know. And the night before that, even whenever they were waiting, there were friends, family, community members, pastors of local churches at the Witt home, waiting to hear word.
1: Back in the Ozark National Forest, investigators were just beginning to gather evidence try to find anything that might point them in the direction of a killer.
3: There's an investigator in this case who is the original investigator, J.C. Ryder. He believes that the body had been moved out from behind a massive boulder so that it could be found. And the reason he feels he knows that is because behind that rock, there was decomposition. Back there where a body had been for some time. And then in front of the rock, you, ha- you find the body, which hadn't been there as long as the decomposition from behind the rock. So police believe that her body was moved from behind this rock. Now, if it wasn't, it, there's a good chance that it wouldn't have been found for quite some time. But since it was moved from behind that rock, that enabled those hunters to spot it as they drove by.
1: Police determined that Melissa Witt had been strangled to death in the location where her body was found. Recently, Joe Ellison caught up with the lead investigator on Melissa's case back in the
3: mid-90s. It's a haunting case J.C. Ryder refuses to let go. He was lead detective on Melissa Witt's 1994 homicide until he retired a few years ago.
1: She was going to come out because she was running low on money and, and have her mother buy her a hamburger.
3: Ryder now volunteers his time on the case. He joined me to share Melissa's last moments and hope someone 26 years later, will finally come forward. When you look at the bowling world right now, I mean, it's no different.
1: No. It's, uh, the only thing different is some of the lighting poles. uh, The layout of the parking lot's the same. The building's still the same. The bad guy's vehicle would have been parked in the next aisle back to the north of her vehicle.
3: Ryder says over the years, they've had some solid leads and people of interest, but they never panned out. Until he takes his last breath, he won't give up fighting.
1: That's, that's all that I've ever wanted out of this, is, is just to see justice served. and I would still like to, to see it cleared. Other investigators have taken up the search for Melissa's killer over the years. In 2015, Captain Daniel Grubbs with the Fort Smith Police Department sat down with KFSM to talk about the case.
5: What makes it so frustrating is you just don't know. You don't know who, and, and there's just not very many clues with this.
2: Well, now there's... Technology advancements and you know, this is before cell phone world and this is before internet internet And and a lot of the DNA capabilities weren't didn't exist in the the mid 90s like that Um, The sheer place timing You know lack of witnesses uh, the time that it took for us to locate her Um, But I'm gonna tell you there's a passion towards these cases Mm -hmm. You know we have we had some great investigators that were initially on this and I have the utmost respect for them.
5: With with the with the uh, 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 invention of all these this new technology, is it helping you, or, or could this lead to easier finding a suspect?
2: I think so. I think with the technological advancements, we're waiting every day for a breakthrough. You know, touch DNA has only been within the last few years, so that opened. Uh, uh, the capabilities of us to resubmit evidence from many cold cases to mm-hmm. see, "Hey, can we get something from this so I, I have faith in science, and you know we believe in a case like this, and you look at the history of Port Smith at that time, I can imagine how everybody felt. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us have strong opinions that um, a person of interest is is identified. It, it's, but how do you connect that person and get a conviction? And I think the public would wonder okay, is there still, you know, Mr. Boogeyman running around Fort Smith that did this crime? Later, exactly. Yeah. I have strong feelings that whoever did this you know, still is still here. Is either dead or in prison, is okay. what I believe. Okay. You know, there are strong groups of, of guys with tenured investigative skills that there's people that have been caught in crimes that are similar to this, and you believe, that's gotta be our guy. That's gotta be our guy. And now it's, you've got a new generation, we're gonna take another stab at this and and try to get some fresh eyes and go after these guys again. I was just
5: about to say the the fresh eyes aspect of this. Somebody comes in and sees something and go, wait a minute, what about this? Hmm? And and it seems to me that that more times than not, that leads to, the case being solved.
2: I I agree with that, because at some point, I think the stress of what you know at that point, and you get your own directions and and your analytics of this is who I'm looking at, and you get a fresh set of eyes that you start thinking outside the box, you have different world experiences, you have different thought processes, you look at all of that, and it's enjoyable to sit with my peers, Mm -hmm. that this is a girl that was our age, Mm -hmm. and you go back to that time of college and innocence and the best time of your life, and some guy took that away. You know, we want to be involved in this case. You were telling me before we came on that you have a
5: whole wall at your office dedicated to this? Yes, I do. With all the evidence that's been collected and mm-hmm. just everything with this. How important is it for you to find this guy or, or whoever?
2: It, it's big with me, it really is. I, I supervise the evidence section, I work in there, and so I see that evidence with her name on it every week. So it's a reminder. And you look at the boxes and boxes and boxes of interviews. You look at the, the physical evidence that we took from the scene, and that's why we do this job. Yeah. You know, you look at that, and even though her mother is not with us, I know she's still got family out there. I want them to know that we're passionate about this. It's personal to us, to some of us that are that age. And whoever did this, it ain't over. I want him to know that.
3: All of these boxes with this 1994 case, with the history of Melissa Witt sitting at the Forsman Police Department, you know, one day police may need something in those boxes. And you go into this evidence room and you walk in and you see, you know, six, seven boxes with the name Melissa Witt on it. This is a case that they still work today.
1: And even after more than 25 years, there's still a list of potential suspects, someone who could still be alive, someone who kidnapped and killed Melissa Witt back in 1994.
3: There are dozens of people who they've had at the forefront of this case, trying to see if this is the person who abducted and killed Melissa Witt. But at this time, they haven't been able to name anyone in this case.
1: Melissa's mom, Marianne Witt, continued to look for Melissa's killer until she died at the age of seventy-five.
3: One thing that Marianne Witt was passionate about was finding her daughter's killer. She was always willing to talk about Melissa. She was always willing to do whatever was needed to get the story out in front of people, hoping she could find her daughter's killer. In all of the years that she lived, she did that time and time again. And she did pass away. She's buried next to her daughter now, uh, laid to rest side by side. But friends of Melissa Witt continue to talk about this case, hoping to keep it you know, out in front of people. So hopefully one day someone will have the right tip that could find her killer.
1: But others have taken up Melissa's case in November of last year, a nonprofit called All the Lost Girls launched a billboard campaign that put her picture in four highly traveled areas of Fort Smith. LaDonna Humphrey says the nonprofit organization hopes the billboards will help someone remember something, something about that night that could help find Melissa's killer.
0: We have a case that I believe could easily be solved. We've answered close to 6,000
3: emails of people that have taken interest in the case. So it's it's pretty active on our end. The first time I ever heard about this case, I mean, I was a young child. I was in grade school. And I remember being in the backseat of my parents' car and hearing that the body had been discovered on the radio. So ever since this case happened, I was young. I've been following it. And now that I'm older in my career, I continue to follow it. And I hope one day that we can close this case out. I hope there will be a conclusion
0: to this. Hey, True Crime Chronicles listeners. This is Reed Redmond joining Will to chat a little bit more about this week's case. Will, you know, one of the things that struck me was this detective who was around the same age as Melissa Witt, and here he is now in his 40s, but of course Melissa is kind of frozen in time she's forever a teenager in everyone's memories and it's just this stark reminder of how long this case has haunted this community we're talking at this point about multiple generations of detectives working on this case but that's also seemingly an advantage they have that the current investigators are able to talk to previous investigators
1: yeah and you know we hear the phrase that this case is personal a lot in these situations i think that's absolutely the case here You have J.C. Ryder, who we hear from, who's the retired Fort Smith police captain, who still thinks about this case all the time, who talked to Joe Ellison, has talked to her over the years, still talks to Captain Daniel Grubbs, the current captain uh, at Fort Smith police. And J.C. Ryder's actually been a part of a Facebook group called Who Killed Missy Witt. So he's still active in this in, in his own way, even as a retired police officer. And, you know, so you've got these, this hand, you know, handing down of information and theories and just memories of what happened. And then you also got this evidence, and it's, it really is. I've seen video uh, on KFSM's website of, of boxes of evidence that we refer to in the episode, boxes of evidence that include journals from Witt's life
0: and evidence from the murder itself. Will, when we're talking about a case that's gone unsolved like this for, for now more than 25 years, it, it seems like it's usually one of two things that that can push a case like this forward. Someone coming forward with new information or DNA evidence that's, that's either discovered or being retested. It, could DNA evidence be something that pushes this case forward at some point? There is DNA, uh, to answer
1: your question. Now, when Melissa Witt was found in the woods in the Ozark forest, uh, she was nude. Her clothes were never found, so they weren't ever able to, you know, hold on to a piece of her clothing. However, Daniel Grubbs has said that they did indeed pull DNA, so they, they have DNA comparisons. He stated, quote, where she was found, there's a ton of earth that we took that was underneath her body throughout that area. So they've held on to, you know, some of that earth from where her body was found, and so they have DNA. Uh, it remains to be seen whether that will be lead to a suspect at some
0: point. At the beginning of this episode, we heard from KFSM chief photographer, Luke Patrick, who had gone out to this remote area in the Ozark National Forest where Melissa Witt's body was found. Where can our listeners go to check out some of the photos that he took when he was out there and and the rest of KFSM's coverage?
1: Yeah, easily just go to kfsm.com and people can search for this story, search for Melissa Witt and find a lot of information there on the website about this case and about the evidence that has been Uh, released to the
0: public over the years. All right. Thank you, Will. And thanks to Joe Ellison and Luke Patrick at KFSM in Fort Smith, Arkansas.
1: And thanks for listening to True Crime Chronicles. A reminder, we have a new show out. It's called Locked Inside. You can listen and follow wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes out every Tuesday. Again, that's called Locked Inside. It's a co-production with KPNX in Phoenix and Vault Studios. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson along with Reed Redman. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.